Music has an incredible ability to proclaim the soul's language beyond what mere words can speak. That is what we seek as we invite our guests to share their song of the soul. Be it joy and laughter, sorrow and tears, awe and insight, or deepest devotion, as we visit and listen, we are all part of a spiritual voyage called Song of the Soul. We're headed to Asheville, North Carolina today for Song of the Soul to visit with Deborah Silverstein. Deborah is a gem and a beacon. She started out musically in Boston in the heady early days of women's music in the 1970s as part of the Red Basement Singers and the New Harmony Sister Band. With a winding path, including decades as a psychotherapist, she always came back to her music, leading to many years with Taproot and the Band of Eric's. Her current excitement is a yet-to-be-produced musical called Riveted, as in Rosie the Riveter, with a beautiful voice that shines solo and especially in harmony with others. Deborah moves her listeners deeply. Special appreciation to Andrew Jansen for production assistance on today's show. Deborah Silverstein joins us via Zoom from Asheville, North Carolina. Deborah, I'm delighted to have you here today for Song of the Soul. Thank you. Good to be here. How long now have you been in Asheville, North Carolina, when you migrated south from the Boston area? I got here January 30th, so just shy of one year. Was this hard on your system or good on your system to leave the frigid north for the moderately cold North Carolina? Well, I can tell you we had a blizzard yesterday, so... (laughs) (laughs) It doesn't feel all that unfamiliar, but it was not hard to come here. I have a daughter who's living here now, she and her husband, and they're about to have a baby. So that was a strong draw. And my older daughter lives in Chapel Hill, farther east. And I have a stepson and family living in Charlottesville, Virginia. So all our kids came south. As I think you know, I grew up in a small town in western Pennsylvania called Johnstown, Pennsylvania. You were also a psychotherapist. How long did you practice in that trade? For about 45 years. Psychotherapy, in addition to being a wonderful healing art, is also got this connection with some spiritual, I would call it spiritual, but then my idea of spiritual is very large. It has some spiritual effects. So I understand that you got into mindfulness, meditation, kind of through maybe the ethos that surrounds you as a psychotherapist? I'm, I'm making that up as I say that. Is that right? I started practicing in 1975. First, I got a master's degree in counseling. And 10 years later, I went and got an MSW. But I've been doing basically the same work the whole way through. When I started to work, I joined a small independent practice that had been established a couple years earlier by a group of women who were six, seven years ahead of me in the profession. They intentionally established a feminist psychotherapy practice. This was in the mid-70s. We were thinking and practicing and working in a way that was, at that point, radical and outside the boundaries of the conventional psychoanalytic 
world. That's how I came into my work. Although I had regular training and I, in fact, did an internship at one point, a year-long internship at McLean Hospital, which is sort of the holy grail of traditional therapy. My entrance was from a different door. And over time, the conventional world of therapists and therapy moved in this more liberal direction. So a lot of what we were talking about and writing about and practicing has slowly been incorporated into what is now a more mainstream point of view. Well, people have joined Song of the Soul today, I'm sure, to experience the music of Deborah Silverstein. I would note also that at that time that you're talking about when you're with this small psychotherapy practice, that must have been also when you got connected with the New Harmony Sisterhood Band. Yes, it all was happening at the same time. I moved to Boston in 1973. I left Ann Arbor, Michigan, where I'd been living for five years. I transferred there, went to school there for two years and stayed for three more years and started playing music. Just started, barely started, just as I was leaving. Weren't you raised musically? No. You didn't learn piano along the way or? No, I was a piano dropout. My father had a beautiful voice and would sing and I would sing with my father. But no, we were not a musical family. And I'm pretty much untrained. I took piano lessons for six months and I didn't like practicing and I quit. And I learned to play guitar, started learning guitar when I was a teenager. And I've taken lessons here and there, but I'm pretty much an untrained musician. I have to say your singing does not sound like an untrained singer. And I say that as a person who loves to sing myself, but I'm not a good singer. My wife performed when she was in high school with a sextet. So she could do all the harmony type things that I just don't do. And you can do harmony beautifully. And I, that thing is a skill that I think is best acquired early. Well, I have it in my brain. I have a musical brain. I barely read music. I'm not a trained singer. I know how to harmonize. I mean, it's just in my brain. Well, it's in your voice too. And so how about we put it in some of the ears of our listeners for Song of the Soul? What should we start with? Why don't we start with Deep Blue Hills? Because that is the first song I wrote. That's your first song you wrote? I wrote that when I was 21 or 22 years old. And I didn't use it or sing it for years and years and years because I thought it was, I don't know what I thought. I think I was some combination of afraid of it. And I thought, well, it's the first song I wrote. It can't be very good. I don't know. And I didn't really start to perform that song until Taproot started using it in our repertoire. And that's the recording that you're going to play. Say a few words about Taproot. Who are Gail and Rebecca and, of course, you, Deborah? Taproot was a group of four women. We started singing together in the early 90s. So it was me, a woman named Gail Finney, Anne Goodwin, and Rebecca Brown. All of us were singers and kind of around the Boston area. Gail pulled us together and we sang together for about six or seven years. Then we stopped singing for another six or seven years. And then we started singing together again. So overall, we sang off and on for about 20 years. But the, the two albums that we made, we made in our first round. And this song, Deep Blue Hills, is on one of those albums. We'll listen to it right away. Deep Blue Hills. Again, the group performing it is Taproot. And you can find this on Deborah Silverstein's website, 
Her website, by the way, Debo Biz, D-E-B-O-B-I-Z dot com. The song is Deep Blue Hills. I walk the deep blue hills Searching for my home Surveying for a place to call my own I watch the clouds roll and tumble As the days they come and go And I know the road I'm traveling Will always Come surging 
I'm fairly blown away by that song by Deborah Silverstein, Deep Blue Hills. I'm especially impressed, Deborah, that you wrote it back in 1971, but it's really not until the 90s that you're performing it with anyone. That's a, a long time in gestation. I had to grow up more in order to know what the song meant, really. I was living in Ann Arbor at the time. I'd gone somewhere. I don't know where. I was coming back to Ann Arbor on a bus, on a Greyhound bus. I know it was evening, and I was sitting next to what I thought of as an old woman who was probably younger than I am now. I'm sure she's younger than I am now, but she seemed like an old woman to me then. But she was very friendly, and we chatted a bit. And then at some point she said, you know, oh, dearie, you look tired. Do you want to just take a nap? You can put your head on my shoulder, which I did. And I woke up and I wrote that song in my head. And that's how the song got written. It, to me, is, well, the last verse in particular, it's the truth. You embrace your journey, it comes surging back to you. Sometimes the journeys are very hard, and it's hard to embrace them. It's a beautiful song. And folks, again, the performers there collectively are called Taproot. I understand they're no longer performing together, although they had two extended stints. But you can find a link to that website on debobiz.com, Deborah Silverstein's website, D-E-B-O-B-I-Z.com. Debo, who called you Debo? My first husband invented that nickname, Debo. I'm very fond of it. I like it. So that when I, I set up a website, I just, or no, when I started, when I first got an email address, that's what I decided to use, DeboBiz. So I've used it for everything. That's my email and it's my website. And So remember, folks, we got the link to DeboBiz.com on northernspiritradio.org. People are almost inerrantly spelled northernspiritradio.org correctly, so we can connect up with all of the wonderful guests we've had for this past 16 and a half years that we've been doing Song of the Soul and Spirit in Action. I want to do another song of yours right away, Deborah. Where should we go? Why don't we just take a big leap to Sister's Keeper? Tell me about this song, Sister's Keeper. It's uh, it's got a different tone to it than the other music of yours I've heard. It actually feels heart-laden to me. Mm -hmm. Tell me about it. Well, this I wrote while Taproot was singing together, and at one point we were asked to participate in a Holocaust remembrance service at a synagogue in Cambridge. And as is the case with probably most of my songs, I mean, I did not intentionally think I should write a song for this? Who could? I would never think. <laughs> I wouldn't have the chutzpah. If you know the word chutzpah, do you know the word chutzpah? Of course. <laughs> okay, so I, I wouldn't have the chutzpah to think I could write a song for the Holocaust Memorial Service, but I just found myself writing this song. And the theme of every year, the same synagogue would do a service, and each year it would have a different theme. And the year that we were singing at it, the theme was about remembering women from the Holocaust. And so everybody's familiar with the phrase, am I my brother's keeper? But because we were a women's band and we were singing for this particular service, I very intentionally wrote it as, am I my sister's keeper? The tone of it has a very klezmery European, Eastern European tone to it, melody. I mean, that's just the melody that came out. And there it is, am I my sister's keeper? 
This is a deep heart journey to listen to this song, including the incredible voice that you'll hear Deborah Silverstein use as she sings this song. It is Sister's Keeper, performed by Taproot, available via her website, depobiz.com. Your Sister's Keeper. Love or love or sin. 
Sisters Keepers performed there by Taproot, and Deborah Silverstein was one-fourth of that performing group of women, did incredible music together. Sisters Keeper, as you said, Deborah, is for Holocaust Memorial, the Shoah Memorial. What year did you say you did that? In the late 90s. At that point, were you identifying active with a synagogue or temple of Jews around there? Was this, how did you get invited to do this song? We were known in the, in the Boston area, so I don't remember precisely who contacted us to ask us if we would participate in this event, in this service. But I was not a member of that shul myself, although it, there was a, um, a daycare in the basement of it, and my children went to that daycare. But I was, it was called Olive Bet, the Olive Bet Daycare Center. But I wasn't an official member of that synagogue. I was a member of a small, unaffiliated Havura community, community of probably about 30 fort families that celebrated together and did services in each other's homes together. I don't know how much this is just accurate or just a projection of mine, but I have the feeling that you must have been listening to a lot of music by Holly Near, Chris Williamson, the, you know, Song of the Soul, this program is because of her song, Song of the Soul. There's any number of wonderful women's musicians who did great vocals like what you did with Taproot. So how much was that part of your life? Oh, it was very much part of my life. Well, my first band was New Harmony Sisterhood Band. We formed in the fall of 1973, just at the cusp of the whole emergence of the women's music world. I was also at that point singing with a group of men and women that called ourselves the Red Basement Singers because we sang in the basement of the Red Bookstore, which was located in Cambridge. Holly Near and Jane Fonda came to that store when they were on their tour together, which was in, I believe, either 1973 or 1974. It was their FTA tour, the the Army tour. So our group, Red Basement Singers, got to know Holly. We sang with her in the Red Basement then. And that's when I first met her. And I've known her ever since. So I, I, I don't know her super well, but we are connected and friends. And New Harmony was the women's band in Boston. There was a women's band in New Haven, Connecticut called the, I think it was the, the New Haven Women's rock band. There was a rock band, a women's rock band in Chicago. And then there was all the stuff going on in California with Olivia Music. And that was Chris Williamson and Meg Christensen. And of course, Holly Near was in California too. So there were outposts of us around the country. And Kristen Lem, do you know Kristen? Have you interviewed I've her? I've interviewed her, yes. Yeah. So Kristen Lem was in Champaign-Urbana and she organized the first women's music festival, I believe, in Champaign-Urbana. And New Harmony sang, I think, at the second one. We all went out there together and performed at that festival. And the next year or two, New Harmony performed at one of the first um, Michigan women's music festivals. So yeah, we were part of that whole scene happening, which was ecstatically amazing. 
It's funny you should mention Kristen Lem because I just got an email last night from someone about a new production that Kristen's doing. No kidding. That I should interview her again relative to that. Oh, very interesting. The last time I saw Kristen Lem was in Boston probably six or seven years ago, which is connected to my current most precious project that is a musical that I've written. And I... Uh, the song that the musical emerged from is a song that occurred to me, came to me the week of the event that I saw Kristen at all these six or seven years ago. Anyway, it's all connected. You mentioned the musical play that's upcoming. It's not there yet. Uh, you have to find someone to produce it and all that kind of thing. What's it called? What's it about? The show is called Riveted. And the song that I originally wrote is called Riveted. That came to be because I was going to be singing at this big radical women's history conference that was being held at Boston University. My dear friend, Marsha Deal, who was one of my band mates in New Harmony Sisterhood from 73 to 80, Marsha did a lot of archival historical music and programming. And somebody had invited her to come and sing at this conference. And she asked me if I wanted to sing with her. We were going to sing old, like, women's movement music songs. And Kristen Lem was also singing at that same conference. So the three of us were together. And then the week leading up to that performance, not unlike then the week leading up to when Taproot was singing at the Holocaust event, and the week leading up to that, I found myself writing a song that I called Riveted that was about my mother's generation, which I had given enormous thought to in terms of what life was like for the women of the post-war generation of women of whom my mother was one. And, you know, these, you know, in terms of white middle-class women and educated, which my mother was, you know, who got shoved out of their jobs and shuffled off into the suburbs to raise their families. And that was my mother's experience. And she was not a happy camper. And I was raised by someone who had bigger ambitions that were all completely thwarted. And that's where the song Riveted came from. And so I wrote that song and we sang it at that conference. And after I wrote the song, I started thinking that this is a play. There's a play in here. For a long time, I thought, I'm going to have to find somebody who wants to write this play because I'm not a playwright, and I will write the music. And that went on for a few years, kind of asking people here and there and talking to people about it. And one day I was talking with a friend of mine who I'd gotten to know through a local art community that I was a part of. And she, like me, was a painter and also performer and singer. And I thought maybe she would be interested in writing the play because she was a writer as well. We spent an afternoon together talking about it. And by the end of the afternoon, she said, I think you have a great idea. I'm doing my things. You have to write this yourself. It's your, it's your idea. It's your play. And I did. <laughs> That's the, to make a long story short, at some point I said, oh, well, okay, I don't know how to do this, but I'm going to try. And I did. So I've written a whole play, three-act play, and 15 songs. 
The play is called Riveted, and it is a three-generational story. There's an elderly woman named Rosie, her adult daughter named Betty, who's in her 60s, and Betty's adult daughter in her 30s named Emma. It's all built around the notion of Rosie has to leave the home she's lived in since the 50s because she's too old to live alone anymore. And the three women are gathered in her house for a couple days and they start going through all these artifacts that Rosie had stashed away hidden in the attic. And as they pull out artifacts and flashback scenes, all these stories, the hidden stories of Rosie's life emerge. And it, in the course of these stories emerging, the ruptured relationship between Rosie and her daughter, Betty, my doppelganger, emerge. And in the course of the secrets being told, the the rifts and the family conflicts begin to heal. That's essentially the premise. Well, you know, folks, we're going to have bonus excerpts from this program. Deborah Silverstein and I are going to talk for a lot longer than I can fit in a 55-minute broadcast. So come to northernspiritradio.org and listen to the bonus excerpts and hear the pieces that we couldn't get on air. And folks, I do want to remind you, this is Song of the Soul you're listening to. And as I mentioned earlier, that's inspired by the song by Chris Williamson, whose song is our theme music for Song of the Soul on northernspiritradio.org is our website. You find links to all of our guests, including Deborah Silverstein, debobiz.com, D-E-B-O-B-I-Z.com is her website. All the other websites are there, places for you to post comments and make our communication two-way. You'll find a link to support us by donating this full-time work. We depend on you. We do not depend on corporations to fund us, and we don't depend on the government to do it. We want listeners to be influential in doing this work. So please support us and especially support your local community radio station. I'm sure there are some great community radio stations up in Boston area where Deborah Silverstein lived until she moved this past year down to North Carolina, and she's in Asheville, and I, I imagine there's got to be two great community radio stations in Nashville, but I don't know them offhand. Do you know them yet? I don't know the call numbers offhand, but I can. I have one on my phone, so I think... Oh, it's BPR, Blue Ridge Public Radio. There is another one, and I, I don't know the call numbers for that, so... I have to confess, I still have WBUR on my phone, and I often listen to to WBUR because I get to hear about home, <laughs> my old home. <laughs> yeah. So again, folks, I do want to encourage you to support your local community radio with your wallet, with your hands. Make local radio, local music, local ethos, local sensitivities. Instead of being controlled by a large corporation, we want you to have what belongs to the community. Well, WUMB in Boston, UMass Radio Boston, is a fantastic acoustic music station. And I spent a lot of time for about 12 years in Midcoast, Maine, and the station up there is WERU, another wonderful station. And I'm not totally plugged in down here yet, so shame on me for that, but that will come. Well, you've only had a year to acclimate and learn everything here. So, But let's go on to some more of your music. We want to get in, I think, three more songs if we can. Okie dokie. Why don't we do What Will Remain? Live, wonderful music, What Will Remain.
When the waves are crashing round us and the storm is at its height and the rain is pouring down before dawn leaps from the the lyrics to that song by Deborah Silverstein, fairly inspirational. Our fragile bodies, naked and slender, well, I'm not really the slender part, belie the power we now render. It's got some great... Where did the ethos for this song come from? Well, I can tell you, I wrote that song on the day of a climate 
you know, there's a climate march. There are marches all over the country probably. And I wasn't able to go to the one in Boston that day, but I decided I would try to write a song instead. And that's how I came to write this particular song. But the um, imagery in part came from, I was reading a book called Sapiens. Do you know that book? I do know of it. I haven't read it. Well, it's a fascinating book by a sort of social historian whose name escapes me right at this moment, but maybe you can plug that in. And it, I mean, it's been a long time since I read it, so I can't recall the guts of it exactly, but Yuval Noah Harari is the author of Sapiens, and he is really exploring the evolution of our species and how it is that we came to be this dominant animal on the planet that we are. The unlikely possibility that this tiny little naked ape that we were in the beginning came to be the dominant species. And so the imagery around small, fragile, naked body is how it wove itself into this song. Well, it is a powerful song about empowerment connected with climate change, which is one of the issues you're connected with. Absolutely. We get to decide what will remain. And the hard part is making that decision, really committing to it. It seems like you've got a lifelong commitment to this. Well, how could one not? <laughs> you know, <laughs> A lot of people manage to not, you know? It's, it's hard to understand. It's hard to comprehend. I mean, you're a grandparent. I'm, I have um, one grandchild already. I'm going to have another grandchild literally in two months. And the just staggering awareness of what the world that these children are being born into is just so intense. Well, thank you, Deborah, for putting the weight of your voice to the side of a better future for them, for everyone, of course. But our grandchildren are, for me, the visual manifestation of the future that I want to nurture. Absolutely. Let's do some more of your music real quickly, because again, there will be bonus excerpts to this on the northernspiritradio.org website. There will be, as a matter of fact, we'll put out the unshortened version of the interview on northernspiritradio.org and the bonus excerpts. But if you're listening to this on the radio, and there's some 42 stations across the country that carry our programs, you'll be hearing just 55 minutes of Deborah Silverstein's Song of the Soul interview. What's next? Why don't we do Cat's Cradle, another live version? And it's done at an open mic, right? Roslindale? Yeah, the Roslindale open mic. Yes. Roslindale open mic. 2016 is, I believe, when you did this. I actually don't know how to do Cat's Cradle. Do you know how to do it with the strings? Oh, I did when I was a kid. I mean, I haven't done it in years, but I actually got the idea for this book because I reread Kurt Vonnegut's book, Cat's Cradle, which I'd read, you know, when I was in my 20s. And I reread it, well, that many years ago, because I had just read the book. And it's a fascinating book to read now. And of course, I was reading it during Trump was in office uh, at that point, because the, the book is eerily prescient. But that concept in the book of Cat's Cradle is about illusion. And, you know, the notion of, you know, you just wind these little strings around and say, here, here's a cat's cradle. You know, there's no cat, there's no cradle. And yet everybody sees the cat in the cradle. And it was that idea that had caught my attention. 
And that's where this song came from. There's some great lyrics in this song, folks, as we listen to Deborah Silverstein, Cat's Cradle. Him to both joy and laughter and disaster there. The song is Cat's Cradle, not to be mistaken for the one by Harry Chapin, which is its own kind of wonderfulness. That's by Deborah Silverstein. Her website, D-E-B-O, the first four letters of Deborah, B-I-Z. 
debobiz.com links on northernspiritradio.org and that is from an open mic performance that she did Rosalind Dale so where is Rosalind Dale by the way I don't know oh Rosalind Dale is just south of the city of Boston in fact Rosalind Dale may be part of the city of Boston it's a it's a neighborhood I'm rushing us I know and I, I really don't want to do that but because I do want to make sure that we get all of this out on our website. What's your last song for Song of the Soul? The last song is Precious Time, which is the title song of my recent solo. It's my most recent album, and it was um, a solo album, all my own material, and primarily backed up by the Band of Erickson and then some other fantastic Boston studio musicians. And tell me about Precious Time. This is the one that's most classic. This is Carter Family. This is Joe Newberry. I was mentioning to you recently that he does some songs that have this classic feel of music. Right. Well, in fact, I had been to see a documentary that was made about the Carter Family by a, oh my goodness, I'm not remembering her name off the top of my head. The name of the movie is The Winding Stream by Beth Harrington. That's her name. So Beth Harrington is a documentary filmmaker and a musician, and she spent years putting together a wonderful film about the whole history of the Carter family, beginning with AP, Mother Maybell, and Sarah. And so I went to see this film. It was broadcast in the Boston Film Festival. And came out of it just, I mean, I always been, I had been singing Carter family music, you know, from way back. I wasn't being introduced to the Carter family or their music at that point, but I just came out of that viewing just completely infused with Carter music. And I just thought, well, I think I'm going to try to write a real Carter family song. And um, that's the song that came out. I mean, you know, many times, and I think you've heard it over the course of the conversation that we've been having, I feel like I don't, and everybody, artists have this experience, like, where did it come from? It's it's like you, you summon, you kind of compact your energy for something, and it summons a muse, it summons it. This song totally felt like it was summoned, and that the Carter family poured through me, and then when I first performed it, or when they had the album debut at Passim in Cambridge, it so happened in the audience was a man who knows Beth Harrington and is a friend of hers. And he heard the song and he loved it. And he said, oh, I want to send it to her. Can I send it to her? And I said, sure. So he sent her a recording of Precious Time and she loved it. And she got in touch with me and she put it up on the her website for the Facebook website page for the movie. And then Beth Harrington actually came to Boston, you know, within the next year to do another showing of the movie. And I sang it, Eric Wells and I sang it at the, at the showing of the movie. So that also came full circle, which was just fantastic. So here you have precious time. Well, thank you for sharing your precious time with me today for song of the soul. You're going to love this song, folks. It's destined to be a classic. It, it should go down that way into the entire world. Uh, it is, again, by Deborah Silverstein. Debobiz.com is her website. This one is a studio version of Precious Time. 
as opposed to a couple of the songs we listened to earlier were open mic, none of the fancy stuff. When you have a live concert or you have an open mic or those kinds of things, you get the intimacy of being with the person in real time. Uh, and you'll get some studio beauty in this one as well. The great voice of Deborah Silverstein, the the music that she creates, the muses that she summons for her music. So I want to thank you so much, Deborah, for joining me here today. It's great to get to know you, all these connections we have with all these people we know. It's really wonderful. Thank you so much. Well, it's been a pleasure talking with you. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. And we conclude again, Precious Time. Deborah Silverstein, follow the link from org, And we'll see you next week for Song of the Soul. Walking down an old familiar path On a cloudy afternoon My weary mind wandered here and there And everywhere saw gloom So I missed the pretty flowers blooming on the vine Lost a precious hour of time It went slipping through my fingers Because time it does not linger And that moment will never again be mine Time, precious time You can't see it, you can't hold it sleeve saying Mama, come with me And just like that I turn to them and say I'm so busy Can't you see And now those little girls have babies of their own Left childhood far behind It went slipping through my Time it does not linger And those moments will never again be mine Time, precious time You can't see it, you can't hold it And there ain't no one can own it So beware and take care of your precious time
Theme music for Song of the Soul is by Chris Williamson, and it is called Song of the Soul. Check out all things Song of the Soul on northernspiritradio.org, guests, links, stations, and a place for your feedback, suggestions, and support. Send your Songs of the Soul to me, Mark Helpsmeet, via the info on our website, and join us weekly for Song of the Soul.